Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on the book of Ezra. The text for the sermon is taken from chapter 8, the verses 24 to 36. Let us hear the reading of God's holy word. And I separated twelve of the leaders of the priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and ten of their brethren with them, and weighed out to them the silver, the gold, and the articles, the offering for the house of our God, which the king and his counselors and his princes and all Israel who were present had offered. I weighed into their hand six hundred and fifty talents of silver, silver articles weighing one hundred talents, one hundred talents of gold, twenty gold basins worth a thousand drachmas, and two vessels of fine polished bronze, precious as gold. And I said to them, You are holy to the Lord. The articles are holy also, and the silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord God of your fathers. Watch and keep them until you weigh them before the leaders of the priests and the Levites and heads of the fathers' houses of Israel in Jerusalem, in the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites received the silver and the gold and the articles by weight to bring them to Jerusalem, to the house of our God. Then we departed from the river of Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month, to go to Jerusalem, and the hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambush along the road. So we came to Jerusalem and stayed there three days. Now on the fourth day, the silver and the gold and the articles were weighed in the house of our God by the hand of Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the priest. And with him was Eleazar, the son of Phinehas. With them were the Levites, Jozabad, the son of Jeshua, and Noabadiah, the son of Binui, with the number and weight of everything. All the weight was written down at that time. The children of those who had been carried away captive, who had come from the captivity, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, twelve bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and 12 male goats as a sin offering. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. And they delivered the king's orders to the king's satraps and the governors in the region beyond the river. So they gave support to the people and the house of God. This ends the reading of the holy word of our God. May he bless the reading and preaching of it to our hearts today. Dear friends, usually the best part of a journey is reaching the destination. And that's true if you're visiting friends or family you have not seen for some time, and especially if you're going on vacation. Traveling in such cases is simply the means to an end. What you really want is to get to wherever you're going as soon as humanly possible. Well, that was certainly true for Ezra and the Jewish exiles who left Babylon. Four months ago, they left Babylon to return to the land of Judah. 
And significantly, Ezra does not tell us anything about what happened on the journey itself. We read nothing about the trials and the difficulties they encountered along the way, although I'm sure there were many of them. And there's a reason for that. It's because the journey didn't matter. What mattered was the final destination. And with that in mind and the help of the Lord, let's consider the words of our text under the theme, The Exiles Arrive in Jerusalem. And we'll consider first the accounting they made, secondly, the thankfulness they expressed, and thirdly, the favor they enjoyed. Ezra and his countrymen were overjoyed. After journeying for four long months in the heat of the summer, and with the constant threat of attack by bandits, they finally arrived at their destination. They arrived in Jerusalem. And we read about that in verse 32. There we have these five simple but wonderful words. So we arrived in Jerusalem. Now, as we observed the last time before embarking on their journey, Ezra and the people prayed that God would bless them. And God was pleased to hear and answer their prayer. Everyone who departed from Babylon arrived safely in Jerusalem. And Ezra tells us that upon arriving there, they stayed three days, probably in order to rest up after their long journey. But then, as we read in verses 33 and 34, on the fourth day, he brought the silver and the gold and the articles to the house of God, which is a reference to the temple. The reference here is to the silver and gold and articles that King Artaxerxes, his princes, and the Jews in Babylon had donated to purchase sacrifices and to support the work of the temple. Now, this was a huge amount. According to verses 26 and 27, there was 650 talents of silver, 100 talents of silver articles, 100 talents of gold, 20 gold basins valued at a thousand drachmas apiece, and two vessels of fine polished bronze, precious as gold. Now, using today's measurements, that would be about three and three quarter tons of gold and 24 and a half tons of silver. So that would be worth tens of millions of dollars in today's currency. Now, remember, Ezra had placed these treasures in the hands of the priests and the Levites. It was their task to make sure that every ounce of gold and every ounce of silver was delivered to the temple. Well, now having arrived in Jerusalem, it was time to count everything to make sure that nothing went lost or was stolen. And we read about this in verses 33 and 34. On the fourth day, Ezra writes, the silver and the gold and the articles were weighed in the house of our God by the hand of Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the priest. And with him was Eleazar, the son of Phinehas. With them were the Levites, Jozabad, and the son of Jeshua, and Noabadiah, the son of Binui, with the number and weight of everything. All the weight was written down at that time. Now you'll notice how great care was exercised on this occasion. The priests and the Levites counted and weighed everything before they left and when they arrived. And they did this in the temple, 
implying this was done in the sight of God and in the presence of several of the leaders of the priests and the Levites. Thirdly, a written record was kept of all of these transactions. Now, we can learn a number of very practical lessons from this. First of all, we learn here that God's people should give abundantly for the cause of the Lord. Think about it. If King Artaxerxes and his princes, who were not even believers, and the Jews who remained in Babylon gave so much gold and silver for the work of the Lord, should we who are believers not do even more? After all, has the Lord not been good to us? Has he not provided for us in all of our needs, both material and spiritual, again and again and again? Should we not be thankful to him? And should that not also reflect itself in our giving every Lord's Day when the offering is taken up in the worship service? Second practical lesson we learn here is that the church cannot be too careful when it comes to handling money. Just look at how much care Ezra took to ensure that all of the money was received and kept safe and was fully accounted for. And dear friends, we need to do the same. This is why it's a very good practice that when money is being counted in the church, at least one or more others are present and that the amount is written down and checked to see that the same amount was actually deposited in the bank. There should also be a regular reporting to the members, at least annually, if not quarterly. Implementing such procedures does not betray a lack of trust. It's simply exercising faithful stewardship over the gifts that the Lord has given and serve to protect everyone involved. But do you know that as believers in Jesus Christ, we have a treasure that is far more valuable than gold? Paul, in fact, speaks of that treasure in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. There, Paul, writing about himself and other ministers of the gospel, says this, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Well, what is this treasure that Paul is referring to here? Well, it's the gospel of salvation in Christ. We know that because of what Paul writes in the previous verse, in verse 6, when he speaks of the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The gospel is a treasure. And as a treasure, it's worth protecting and preserving. Like Ezra in our text, we need to do everything in our power to prevent this treasure from being stolen by others, either by neglect or direct attack or false teaching. When Ezra had counted the gold and silver and the articles that had been donated for the work of the temple, he said this to the priests. He said, watch and keep them until you weigh them before the leaders of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel and Jerusalem in the chambers of the house of the Lord. The priests and the Levites had to watch and keep the treasure that had been entrusted to them. And dear friends, we must do the same. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, Paul writes to Timothy, and by extension to all believers, O Timothy, he says, guard what was committed to your trust. And in 2 Timothy 1, verse 13, he writes something similar. He says, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you Keep by the Holy Spirit 
who dwells in us. Oh, my friends, are you doing that today? Are you holding fast to the doctrine of salvation as it is taught in the Scriptures? Or are you allowing yourself to be swayed by the many voices that we hear today on Christian radio and on the Internet? Oh, beware of such voices. We have a duty to preserve the gospel for future generations. Are we taking that duty seriously? But not only must we guard this truth, we must receive it in faith. In Ezra 8, verse 30, we read that the priests and the Levites received the silver and the gold and the articles by weight to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. Now, that's something we need to follow. That's a pattern here for each of us to follow. We must receive the treasure of the gospel in our hearts. Have you done so? Have you received this beautiful treasure? In every Lord's Day, when the preaching When the word of God is preached, the offer of grace comes to us. And the question is, what have you done with that offer of grace? Have you received it like the priests and the Levites received the treasure for the temple? Or have you ignored it, neglected it, or even rejected it? Nothing is more important than to receive the offer of the gospel and the Christ of the gospel. Matthew 13, verse 44, Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. The point of the parable is this, that this treasure, the treasure of Christ, the treasure of the gospel is so valuable that we should be prepared to do anything in order to possess it. Does that describe you today? Is this treasure so important and so valuable to you that you're prepared to do anything, to make any sacrifice in order to partake of it? If not, you're not fit for the kingdom of heaven. And one day you'll have to give an account of your stewardship when you stand before the Lord in the day of judgment. So don't be so foolish. If you have never received the gospel, if you have never received the Lord Jesus Christ, Do so today. Your eternal destiny is at stake. Well, upon returning to Jerusalem, Ezra and the people of Judah made a faithful accounting, but they also expressed great thankfulness. And that brings us to our second point. Having counted all of the gold and silver and the articles that had been given for the work of the Lord, the people of Judah gathered together in the temple to worship God. The people were thankful that the Lord had guided and protected them along the way. And now they came together for worship. And you notice they were not commanded to do so by God. At no time did God say, when you arrive in Jerusalem, I want you to hold a worship service in the temple. No, they did this spontaneously. They did this of their own accord. And we're reminded here that the church may gather together for worship on days other than the Sabbath day. I'm thinking about days like Good Friday and Ascension Day and Thanksgiving Day and Christmas Day. Now, some of our Presbyterian brethren object to that. They argue that it's against the regulative principle of worship to do this. But if that is so, then these Jewish exiles were wrong. The truth is that while we must gather together for worship on the Lord's Day, we may gather on other days as well. And that's what these exiles did. They gathered together in the temple to express their thankfulness to God. And you'll notice that the focus of their worship was the sacrifices. In verse 35, we read that they offered 12 bulls, one for each tribe in Israel. Now, the fact that the northern 
ten northern tribes no longer existed was irrelevant to them. These ten northern tribes had been taken captive by the Assyrians many years before. But that didn't matter. There were twelve tribes, and so they offered twelve bulls. And they did so, perhaps, in the hope that the other lost tribes would eventually find their way back to the promised land. They also offered 96 rams, 77 lambs, and 12 male goats as a sin offering. Now notice that all of these sacrifices are divisible by 12, which is a symbolic number, except for the 77 lambs. The apocryphal book First Estras states that 72 lambs were offered, which is a multiple of 12. But if the number 77 is correct, it may simply be a literary device to denote a fairly large or complete number, since the number 7 is a complete number. Notice, too, that two types of sacrifices were made on this occasion. First of all, there was a sin offering, and then there was also a burnt offering. The sin offering was made to atone for specific sins, and the burnt offering was made to atone for sins in general. Also, only part of the sin offering was burned on the altar. The rest was given to the priests for food. That's not the case, however, with the burnt offering. When an animal was offered as a burnt offering, the entire animal was burned on the altar. That's why we get the name burnt offering. This signified that the people were surrendering themselves entirely to the service of the Lord. Or as one commentator writes, the sin offering took care of the uncleanness of the exiles. The burnt offerings signified the utter gratitude and praise of the repatriated Jews and their dedication to him and his laws. Sacrifices that the people offered, therefore, were not made merely to atone for their sins. They were made to express their wholehearted devotion and thankfulness to the Lord. And for good reason. Because they had a lot to be thankful for. Their ancestors broke the covenant of the Lord. They worshipped idols. They forsook his laws. And as such, they deserved to be utterly annihilated. And to be sure, God did punish them for their sins. He raised up the Babylonians who destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the temple of Solomon and carried its inhabitants into captivity. And there they remained for 70 years. But 70 years later, he allowed his exiled people to return home and to rebuild the temple. And although initially, as we've seen, they faced a lot of opposition, eventually that temple was rebuilt and the people settled in the land and the Lord prospered them. And now this second wave of immigrants had arrived safely, carrying with them unfathomable wealth. Indeed, they had so much to be thankful for and they expressed that thankfulness in their sacrifices. Well, my friend, what about you today? Are you also thankful to the Lord? You know, we too have so much to be thankful for, don't we? We can be thankful for all the material blessings that the Lord has showered upon us. He's blessed us with plenty to eat, plenty to drink. We all have shelter and clothing. And for all these things, we should be immensely thankful, especially when we compare our standard of living to the standard of living that's enjoyed by so many others in this world. But secondly, we should also be thankful to the Lord for all of his spiritual blessings. 
And has the Lord not blessed us abundantly in this regard as well? We have the word of God. We have faithful preachers of the word. We have the sacraments for the strengthening of our faith. We have the freedom to worship God according to his word. We have countless opportunities to grow in our knowledge and understanding of the word of God. We've been given so much. And every one of these blessings is totally undeserved. And for that reason, we should be thankful. What is more, if you're saved today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, you have the forgiveness of all of your sins. You are adopted as a son or as a a daughter of God. You have peace with God. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. You have the gift of everlasting life. You have so much. And for that too, we should be immensely thankful. Well, are you thankful today? And if so, do you also express it? How should we express our thanks? Well, not like the Jews in Jerusalem during the days of Ezra. Not by offering an animal on an altar. Animal sacrifices were abolished with the coming of Jesus Christ. His sacrifice on the cross is the ultimate and final sacrifice for sin. When he shed his precious blood on the cross, no more blood needs to be shed. Instead, we are called to offer ourselves. Isn't that exactly what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12, verse 1? He says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So we, our bodies, are the sacrifice that God desires and expects. He desires and expects that we dedicate everything that we are and everything that we have to him and to his glory out of thankfulness for all that he has done for us. Oh, my friend, is that your resolve today? The Jews in our text chapter were thankful to the Lord for sustaining them and protecting them on their journey. Are we also thankful to the Lord for sustaining and protecting us on our journey? The journey of life. And if so, then that needs to manifest itself. Let your body be a living sacrifice of thankfulness to God for all that he has done for you. And so these Jewish exiles were thankful. And they expressed this thankfulness in their sacrifices. But that's not all that they did. And that brings us to our third and final point. After worshiping the Lord, the exiles arranged to meet with the local authorities. We read in verse 36, And they delivered the king's orders to the king's satraps and the governors in the region beyond the river. Now, the word satrap is a Persian word that refers to a high official. The Persian Empire was made up of 28 states known as satrapies, and each satrapy was ruled by a satrap or a governor. Now, the word governor that's used here probably refers to rulers of a more localized area. And to these men, Ezra delivered the king's orders. The reference here is probably to the letter that King Artaxerxes wrote, recorded in chapter 7, in which he ordered the treasurers in the region surrounding Jerusalem to use part of the tax money they collected to support the work of the temple and not to impose taxes on the priests or anyone who was involved with the work of the temple. 
And since the king's command was law, the satraps did as they were commanded. And we read in verse 36, So they gave support to the people and the house of God. Now what a remarkable turn of events this is. Only one generation ago, the same local governors did everything in their power to put a stop to the work of the temple. And now, by order of the king's decree, they were commanded to support it. And they had no choice. They did. Now that too is evidence of the hand of the Lord, isn't it? The Jewish exiles demonstrated their faithfulness to him by returning to Jerusalem and offering sacrifices to his glory. And in response, the Lord gave them favor with the authorities. His people at last could worship in peace. And the same principle applies to us today. Dear friends, when we put God first in our hearts and in our lives, he will bless us. Not necessarily materially. We strongly condemn the purveyors of the so-called prosperity gospel who teach the exact opposite. But he will bless us spiritually. And everything brings us to our eternal home. And on what basis does God do this? Well, not on the basis of anything in us, because there is nothing in us. There's only sin. There's only reason why God should be angry with us and condemn us. But he does so only on the basis of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. You see, like Ezra, Christ is also leading a people. Only his people are drawn from every tongue and tribe and nation under heaven. And he's calling them and leading them by his word and Holy Spirit. And like a shepherd, when he calls, they hear and they follow. And one day he will bring every one of his sheep into the sheepfold, into the place that he has been preparing for them from all eternity. Which is not Jerusalem, but the ultimate Jerusalem, the Father's house. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd, and they shall rejoice, and they will offer up sacrifices of praise, and he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. He shall see his seed, Isaiah says. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Oh, my friend, will you also be there then you must respond to his call. Leave the Babylon of this world and follow him. Stay close behind him and he will bring you safely home. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website, at BannerOfTruthRadio.com That's BannerOfTruthRadio.com Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, 
please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. That's www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed on your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, L-E-H-M-A-N, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X 2M9. Or you can go to our webpage and make a donation right on our webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.